Well, let's turn to John chapter 9. We were here last week in verses 1 through 7, where we saw Jesus healing or giving sight to a man who was born blind. Uh, the miracle of the blind being able to see represents that wonderful truth that when a person receives Christ, he is brought out of the darkness and into light. And today we'll continue in this chapter. We'll go from John chapter 9, verses 8 through 41, and see the response to that miracle. The Pharisees didn't like the fact that this healing was done on the Sabbath day. Now, the Mishnah, remember the hedge about the law, had 39 different descriptions of work that were not to be done on the Sabbath day. Uh, one of them was kneading dough in order to make bread. And as the Pharisees looked at what Jesus had done, stooping down, getting some clay, mixing spittle with that clay, uh, that was the same action. And so that was a breaking of the, of the law in their mind, in their estimation. And so they were, he was not only breaking the Sabbath, he was breaking the law of God. And so they were, they were out to get him for this. And the rest of the chapter, the Pharisees asked the man who was now able to see how the miracle took place. They wanted to trap Christ. They questioned the man's parents, and then they went back to him to persuade him to say that Jesus was, was a sinner, he must be a sinner. And so this chapter is filled with questions. And it ends with a question that the Pharisees asked Jesus in verse 40, are we blind also? The world never quite understands how the miracle of new birth can take place. They might see your life and say, you know, something's different. Uh, something has changed. You seem happy now. And some of that is, is, attracts their attention, their curiosity. They may be interested. What did you do to turn your life around? I think I might like to do that as well because I'm not happy with the way things are going. Well, when they find out that you're giving credit to a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that you just simply came confessing your sin and trusting him as your savior, that's not quite what they had in mind. Now, they often don't want to hear about that. But that's what's going on in this chapter. Uh, they, they knew this blind man. They'd watched him all of his life. And now he can see. And so they want an explanation. <laughs> Give us something that we can believe. I want to take the title of the sermon today from verse 39. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. The title of the message, A Blind Man Sees While the Seeing Are Made Blind. And by the end of this discussion, Jesus is making this interesting comparison between the blind man who can now see, not only physically but spiritually, and the religious crowd who thought they could see, but he's actually showing that they're blind in their unbelief. The first question comes from the man's neighbors in verses 8 through 12. Their answers are their questions of amazement. They wondered, how could this happen? They're curious. They want answers. Verses 8 through 12 the neighbors, therefore, and they which before had seen him, that he was blind, said, Is not this he that sat and begged? Some said, This is he. Others said, He is like him. But he said, I am he. Therefore they said unto him, How, was, how were thine eyes opened? 
He answered and said, A man that is called Jesus made clay and anointed mine eyes and said unto me, Go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And I went and washed, and I received sight. Then said they unto him, Where is he? He said, I know not. Remember, he had the clay when he went to wash off. He had never seen Christ. They realized that a miracle had taken place. These people knew the the blind man. Some were his neighbors, it says. Some were acquaintances. They had seen him. Uh, Some may have been there when he was born blind. Watched his mom and dad as they tried to get him to respond to motion or to light. They knew he'd never been able to see. Some saw him every day, making his way to that spot where he would sit and beg for money, for coins. Listen to their questions. They first ask ask each other, isn't this the one who sat and begged? Some said, yes, it's the same person. Others said, no, he just looks like him. The man said, "Uh, I, I can see. He must have overheard them as they're talking with each other. And I can imagine what must have been going through his mind as he heard the discussion. You know, I, I'm right here. <laughs> well, while I couldn't see before, I could always hear, and I can see and hear now. And so he, he wants to put an end to this discussion that they're having, and so he says, I am he. So they asked him, second question, how were thine eyes open? He's going to hear that question again as we go through the chapter. Miracles can't be explained. How were your eyes opened? There's no explanation of a miracle. It's, it's, not, it's just something that must be accepted by faith. When you think about it, they're asking the wrong question. If they had stopped asking him how were your eyes opened and asked the question who, uh, then I think they would have been more accurate. Then the man who could now see, went right to that question, who? He let them know that Jesus was responsible for the miracle. He gave a detailed account of what had happened. A formerly blind man told them who it was that gave him sight. He says these words, a man called Jesus. Jesus is the Lord's name that identifies him as the Savior. The Pharisees also called him a man. Look at verse 16. How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? Verse 24, they said, we know that this man is a sinner. How you view Jesus Christ will affect your eternal destination. The Son of God came to die for your sin. And if you see him as as who he claims to be, that he is the Son of God, that he came to die for your sins, that's faith. Or there are some who view Christ as a man who lived historically, did some great things, but was just another sinner like everyone else. Then you're in unbelief. The formerly blind man had not seen Christ's face. He only recognized him by his voice. How similar that is to faith today. Jesus said in John 10, 27, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. In John 20, verse 29, Jesus was talking to Thomas, and he said, Because you've seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. 1 Peter 1, 8, Whom having not seen, ye love. In whom, though, though now ye see him not, yet rejoicing, 
are yet believing, you rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory. And so that's speaking about us. We have not seen Christ physically, and yet we have believed. And so this man, uh, having only heard his voice, takes this path of belief in this chapter. The man told them what Jesus did. He made clay, you know, in my eyes. He said, go to the pool of Siloam and wash. And then he told them what he did. He was obedient to those commands. I went, I washed, I received sight. That's the explanation of the miracle. Those are the, the details of what took place. And isn't it amazing? God's simple plan of salvation. It is so simple that they say there's got to be more. It's got to be harder. I've got to do something. And the answer, uh, the, neighbor, the neighbors ask one more question. Where is he? And he, he says, I, I don't know. I know not. They were curious about God's work. And people have that same curiosity today. There are external evidences of the reality and the work of God all around us. And, and, and people will either accept those revelations that God has already given, or they're going to reject those revelations. Pastor Nate brought this out last Sunday in the 19th Psalm. When a person looks into the star-filled skies, and, or the, the, star, the stars in the skies, the universe, he has to conclude that this either came about by a random act of chance, or it was designed and created by God. If there is a creation, then there must be a creator. And that creator, as we, as we learn from his display in creation, is, is omnipotent. He's powerful to speak the worlds into existence. He's orderly. There is design there. He's faithful as the seasons come and go. So God is faithful. So every effect must have an adequate cause. That's responding to the revelation of creation. God also reveals things through our lives. And other people see you pray and you get answers to those prayers and he, he intervenes in your life and they're left with the same kind of a choice when they see what God's doing in, in your life. Am I going to believe in God or I'm going to reject him and, and just say all those things were just random, they're just chance. People may hear about God's answers to prayers in your life and they see him working and when they start to face a difficulty, they'll remember your testimony, and they want to know, is there a God who answers prayers or not? Can he answer mine? People are curious. Is that, how can you find joy in the midst of sorrow? How can you find peace when you're facing trials? They see a change in the way you live, a different attitude that you have toward life, and they may be impressed, even that you're not as fearful as other people are as we go through the, the things that are going on in our world today. These neighbors saw a change in the blind man. He can now see. William MacDonald writes, It should be this way also when a person is saved. Our neighbors should notice the difference in us. The friends and the neighbors were asking questions of amazement. Now we come to the questions of the Pharisees. These are questions of argument. This is the beginning of a long interrogation. They question the man and his parents with contempt, with unbelief, with sarcasm, even with hatred. Verse 13, 
They brought to the Pharisees him that aforetime was blind. And it was the Sabbath day when Jesus made the clay and opened his eyes. Then again, the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. And he said unto them, He put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed, and I do see. Therefore said some of the Pharisees, This man is not of God, because he keepeth not the Sabbath day. Others said, How can a man that is a sinner do such miracles? And there was a division among them, that is, among the Pharisees. This first question the Pharisees ask, they ask in verse 15, it says, again, this is the second time that he's asked that question, first by his friends and neighbors, uh, and now by the Pharisees. He, he's ans- his answer is, is shorter now, more concise, not as many words. Uh, before, he said, a man that is called Jesus made clay, anointed mine eyes, and said unto me, go to the pool of Siloam and wash, and I went and washed, and I received the sight. Now, he simply says, he put clay upon mine eyes, and I washed and do see. <laughs> it's a lot shorter. Why, why is that? I've always, often asked that. And here are some of the suggestions that people give. First of all, he wanted to, be, uh, to put it in the simplest terms. Secondly, he didn't want to be caught embellishing or changing the story. So it's better to go shorter on the second time and not go into the same details. might miss something. And also, uh, some say that he knows that they have ulterior motives. And he doesn't, he doesn't want to give them any fodder to, to disprove the miracle. And so he simplifies it. And another person said, well, he just got tired of answering the same question. <laughs> so make it shorter. Well, the divisions, in, in their opinions, verse 16, some of the Pharisees concluded he's not of God. He worked on the Sabbath. He broke, this, he broke the law of God. So he can't be from God or of God. Other Pharisees said, since he did this miracle, he, he can't be a sinner. They decide to ask the question and, and, and clarify things from the man. Verse 17, they ask the formerly blind man to give his opinion of the one who healed him. They say unto the blind man again, What sayest thou of him, that he that hath opened thine eyes? Uh, he said, He is a prophet. This man, remember, had never met Jesus before. He may have been repeating what other people had said about Christ. He had heard them say that. It could have been either before the miracle or after the miracle had taken place. He might have heard what others said about Jesus. Um, Others admitted that Jesus was a prophet. The word prophet comes from a prefix in the Greek, pro or before, and then phemi, to speak. So a person who can say what will happen beforehand or before it happens. In John 4, 16, the woman of Samaria, Samaria said to Jesus, Sir, I perceive that thou art a prophet. In John 6, 14, after the feeding of the 5,000, then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that prophet that should come into the world. So they were looking for this prophet. And so this man identifies him. He is a prophet. Still not believing, they try another approach. Let's ask his parents. If we can't prove that he was, or if we, can, if we can prove that he really wasn't born blind, then we can show all of this is a fraud. And so in verses 18 and 19, here's the interrogation of the parents. But the Jews did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of him that had received his sight. And they asked them, saying, Is this your son, whom ye say was born blind? 
How then doth he now see? The question, first of all, is to his identity, whether he was indeed their son. If they said no, then you know, they've won the argument. They question their truthfulness, whether he was indeed born blind, whom ye say. You say that he was born blind. Was he really? And then they ask, how could this be? How can he now see? Apart from God, this is impossible. Warren Wearsby writes, Religious bigots do not want to face either evidence or logic. Their minds are made up. Had the Pharisees honestly considered the facts, they would have seen that Jesus is the Son of God, and they could have trusted him and been saved. Notice what the parents answer. Their words in verses 20 and 21, and their worries in verses 22 and 23. Their words, his parents answered them and said, We know that this is our son, and that he was born blind. So they're answering the specific questions. But by what means he now seeth, we know not. Or how, or who hath opened his eyes, we know not. He is of age, ask him. He shall speak for himself. And why did they say that? Because of their worries. These words spake his parents because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had agreed already that if any man did confess that he was Christ, he should be put out of the synagogue. Therefore, said his parents, he is of age, ask him. And they were in danger of being excommunicated from, not, the synagogue was the center part of the Jewish community. And so being excommunicated from that would be cut off from family, from friends. They would have been treated as outcasts, as publicans and sinners. And so they quickly think of a solution to get them out of this tight spot. They said, he is of age. That is, he's at least 13 years of age. Uh, he can answer for himself now as a man, not a child. And as he answers, he's responsible for his own actions. So mom and dad throwing him under the bus, you know, ask him. You know, it's far better to be cast out by men and accepted by God than to be given any honorary membership in a man-made religion. If any religious group threatens you because you have an allegiance to Jesus Christ, that religious group is not worthy of you being a part of. It's time to leave. Get out. Another approach, now they, they take, there's more dialogue. It's amazing to see the attempts that unbelievers will make to disprove Christ, to deny the miracles, to discredit the Bible. When you read theories of, about how the earth was made, theories that attempt to explain missing links in the supposed evolutionary process, you have to come to the conclusion that it takes far more faith to believe the evolutionary theories than to believe the Bible. There's a book by Norman Geisler and Frank Turek uh, entitled, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist. <laughs> they argue that Christianity is not only more reasonable than all the other belief systems, but it's more rational than unbelief itself. Well, back to the questioning of the man who was healed. Uh, verse 24, Then again called they the man that was blind, and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner. And so here is this trap that is being set. They start with a truth, and then they introduce a lie. 
And they think this is going to be a logical progression. Uh, let's get, first of all, this, this truth that you agree with, and then you'll have to accept the other. Part one, give God the credit. And that's the truth. God does deserve all the glory. Okay? Give God the credit. Part two, in their wording, was reject Christ as God. Agree with us because we know so much more than you do. We're the religious leaders of the day. We know that he's a sinner. That's a lie. So here's truth mixed with error. They want him to admit Christ is God so they can accuse him of, of blasphemy, of defaming the character of God. It's a wonderful answer that he gives. A new convert, you know, not ready for debates theologically, but really... He is, because God has given him something that they don't have. And he answered and said, Whether he be a sinner or no, I know not. One thing I know, that whereas I was blind, now I see. <laughs> you think about that. Every morning he woke up to darkness. He opened his eyes, perhaps, but saw nothing. Every day of his entire life, from birth. Now Jesus comes and performs this miracle, and he can see. And I'm sure he would rather be looking at flowers and birds and trees and scenery in Jerusalem and the things that he has never seen before than to look into these hostile, aggressive faces of the Pharisees. And they make one more attempt with the same question, verse 26. Then said they unto him, What did he to thee? How opened he thine eyes? His answer, verse 27, I've told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? <laughs> and what a note of sarcasm. And watch how it brings out this hostility in the Pharisees. The response, verse 28 and 29. Then they reviled him and said, Thou art his disciple, but we are Moses' disciples. We know that God spake unto Moses, as for this fellow, we know not from whence he is. We are followers. We are disciples of Moses, of the Old Testament scriptures, of the law. Moses was from God. He spoke from God. They would not admit that Jesus, and they don't even use, uh, you'll notice in, in your text, fellow is in italics. It, literally, he's just saying, they're saying this, we know not from whence he is. The man's rebuke to the Pharisees now, verses 30 to 33. The man answered and said unto them, Why, herein is a marvelous thing, that ye know not from whence he is, and yet he hath opened mine eyes. Now we know that God heareth not sinners, but if any man be a worshiper of God and doeth his will, him he heareth. Since the world began, was it not heard that any man opened the eyes of one who was born blind? If this man were not of God, he could do nothing. And, and what I see in this is a wonderful testimony to each one of us that the Holy Spirit will give us the words to answer the questions of an unbelieving world. He expresses amazement at their ignorance of Christ's origin. He uses sound logic. If God did this miracle through Jesus, and God doesn't hear sinners, then this man must be a worshiper of God. Um, and so he can't be a sinner. 
Again, this miracle shows something above human ability. He, he points out, look at all of human history. Has it ever been known that a person that was born blind received their sight? It's never happened. His conclusion, verse 33, therefore, Jesus must be of God or from God. They're asking, where is he from? He is from God. He's sent by God. He gives evidence of faith. Warren Wiersbe says, the simple-hearted believer knows more spiritual truth than the unsaved, uneducated theologian. And that's still true today. Look at their hateful response in verse 34. They answered and said unto him, Thou wast altogether born in sins, and dost thou teach us? And they cast him out. That is, they excommunicated him. Here we see a lot of the way people argue. Uh, if you can't win an argument, get angry. If you can't get the answer from this person about their question, dismiss him. Get rid of him. Is it true that he was born in sin? Uh, yes. So were they. But he put his faith in Christ, and they didn't. He believed, and they didn't. And so they excommunicated him from the synagogue. They were ca- he was cast out by men, but found and accepted by Christ. And we'll see that in verse 35. Here, the last point in this last section of the scriptures, Jesus used the miracle to teach the difference between spiritual sight and spiritual blindness. Believing faith sees and unbelief blinds. Verse 35, Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And when he had found him, he said unto him, Dost thou believe on the Son of God? He answered and said, Who is he, Lord, that I might believe on him? And Jesus said unto him, Thou hast both seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. Jesus sought the man. He came to him, he came to Jesus, in his, or he came to the, the blind man in his physical blindness, and now he comes to him in his spiritual blindness, and Jesus sought the man. Salvation is not when you find Christ, it's when Christ finds you. He asked the question, do you believe on the Son of God? And of all the questions that we read in John chapter 9, this is the most important. Do you believe? on the Son of God? It's a question that each of you must answer today. Jesus identifies himself as the Son of God. Thou hast both seen, uh, seen him, and it is he that talketh with thee. He's saying, I am the Son of God. The man believed, and he worshiped. Genuine worship can only take place after believing faith. People come into a church and say, well, I worship God. Are you a believer? No then you didn't worship God. True worship comes after true conversion, true faith. Worship is an evidence of faith. Worship is living a life that demonstrates the worth of Jesus to you. That's worship, is worship. Is he worthy of your worship in church, corporate praise? Is he worthy of the time that you need to spend with him in prayer? Studying his word? Is he worthy of your witness? Is he worthy of your total commitment? You notice this man's faith develops through the passage. Watch the progress of, of his understanding faith. 
In verse 1, when he was, described, uh, he was describing who healed him, all he said was, a man called Jesus. Okay? That's, that's the, the beginning of his faith. When he was questioned by the Pharisees, he called him a prophet, verse 17. He concluded that Jesus must be a man of God, verses 31 to 33. And now he discovers that Jesus is indeed the Son of God, verses 35 to 38. Has your faith brought you to realize who Jesus is? Now we, the last section here, verses 39 to 41, we see the spiritual blindness of unbelief. And Jesus said, For judgment I am come into the world, that they which see not might see, and that they which see might be made blind. And some of the Pharisees which were with him heard these words and said unto him, they knew who he was talking about, Are we blind also? Jesus said unto them, If ye were blind, ye should have no sin. But now ye say, We see, therefore your sin remaineth. Notice he said, for condemnation or judgment, I am not coming to this world. Now, I thought in, in John chapter 3, verse 17, it says that he didn't come in to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So what's happening here? William MacDonald says, uh, gives some clarity. He says, the purpose of Christ coming into the world was not to judge, but to save. However, judgment is the inevitable result of all who fail to receive him. So judgment will come. Trust the one who died for your sins. He stands as savior today. He'll stand as judge if you reject him, if you go on and, and, and refuse his gift of grace. He comes to offer spiritual sight to those who are lost. And he comes to confirm the blindness of those who refuse to believe. And one final question that the Pharisees ask, are we blind also? And his answer, if you admit to blindness, then your sins can be forgiven. But because you say, we can see, nothing wrong with us, there can be no spiritual sight given. Why? Because man must admit that he's a sinner, that he's blind, that he's lost, that there's no way he can save himself before he can be saved. When people ask you about your salvation, some may be curious, uh, as those who knew this man. Some may be harsh, as the Pharisees, trying to ridicule the miracles of Christ. You don't need to be intimidated. 1 Peter 3.15 says, But sanctify the Lord God in your heart. That means set him apart in your own heart. And be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. He's not saying that you can stand and give a, a doctrinal dissertation. He's saying you have a reason for the hope within you. That's all this man did. You may have been saved only a short time. And don't think you know all the verses that you should use when you're in a, in a debate with someone. You can still tell them one thing I know, whereas I was blind, but now I can see. Would you ask God for boldness to tell people your testimony? As you ask him for boldness, he's going to open up opportunities even this week for you to share Christ. Maybe there's never been a time in your life when you admitted that you were blind. And if you haven't admitted it, 
The Lord will never give the salvation. Admit you're a sinner. Come to him today. Trust him as your savior. Let's bow for prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for this passage. We thank you that your word is timeless. It is as helpful today as it was then. You have not changed. And I pray that you will fill us with the same spirit of boldness that you gave this newly converted man uh, to, to witness to others, to say the right things. Help us to bring others to a, a focus of their vision, both physical and spiritual, on the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask in his name. Amen.